Libin and, and other people at Libin and just singing and, and the Holy Spirit moving. Uh, that's not recorded anywhere, but at CVPC, amen. So that's, uh, that's the beauty of worship here, and I thank you for that. Well, I got to tell you, I, I didn't get a wink of sleep last night. I, uh, I tossed and turned almost the whole night. And, I, and the reason why is because I know that I had to preach on Romans 8.28. And if you don't know about Romans 8.28, know this. It's like the high watermark in the Bible. I know, I know, all scripture is inspired by God. But you don't understand. Romans 8.28 isn't a little bit more inspired. But man, it's a verse that's like the high watermark of our faith. And I was saying to myself, Lord, what am I going to say? I had like 15 pages of notes. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach 15 pages of notes. I just had them. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what to say. And so I took my Bible up, and wouldn't you know it, I read Romans 8:28, And it struck me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it dawned on me, Pastor Dennis, that's, I refer to myself in the third person, Pastor Dennis, you don't know how this sermon is going to go, but you need to know that God's going to use it for his glory. And so I tell you that to say that even the pastor that's called to preach the text, sometimes the Lord has to wake him up in the middle of the night just to preach the text to him first. Preach the text to him first. So praise the Lord for that. I didn't, didn't get much sleep, but the Lord certainly taught me a lesson. Well, for our time together, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 30. I had six points for you today, but then I thought that would be too much for us to grapple with today. So I decided to uh, split it in two. So Scott Finch, I don't know where you are, but I'm sorry in advance. I'm going to throw off your planning for another week. Uh, we're already two or three weeks behind in the sermon series because I just, you know, I kept splitting and dividing and doing whatever I feel like the Holy Spirit needs for us to do. And so we're going to split this into two uh, pieces today. One piece is that we're going to look at what these verses doesn't claim. And then next week, we need to look at what these verses do claim. So you have to come to both um, if you want the full mama, as it were. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 30. Hear now the word of the living God. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here it is. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. 
the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. And I pray that you might unite them together this morning. We thank you for the wonder of your word. No matter the instrument that it comes through, it is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce even to the conscience and the mind and the heart of your people in a way that no human, uh, no human instrument can. And so I pray that even now, Holy Spirit, you might work through me for the good of your people. Thank you for the wonderful worship we've already experienced. And thank you that you are moving us in the direction of glorification. And we praise you and we thank you for that in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen and amen. Well, last week we looked at the subject of suffering in the Bible. And we saw where believers ought to endure suffering with grace and hope. And so the text before us today contains what many consider the greatest promise in all of scripture, Romans 8:28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's the greatest promise, some say, in the entire Bible. And it shouldn't surprise us that right after Paul talks about suffering, Paul pivots to talk about promise, promise. And why is that? It's because God primarily deals with his people through promises. They are like redemptive historical cords that binds God to his people. During suffering, and turmoil, and challenges, a promise is a way for God to remind us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Many of us yesterday witnessed an example of this very thing in the wedding ceremony. As the happy couple said their vows, one of the things that they promised to one another is this. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband or wife. And notice what it says after that. In plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow in sickness, and in health. That's what Romans 8:28 is. It's God's promise to you that he will be with you in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health. It's God coming alongside of us and vowing that no matter what happens, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what is done to us, he will be with us at all times. Over the years, I've gotten to see this in a very beautiful way, uh, particularly with older saints. As one of them decline in their health, the other one steps up and helps. I remember telling you about the next-door neighbor I had who faithfully ministered to her husband, every day changing his diaper and bathing him and caring for him. And the way she loved him, was a blessing to my soul. 
So it is that God promised us in Romans 8, 28, to love you even when it's inconvenient or even when it's your own fault. Amen. You know, sometimes most of the troubles I have in my life is my own fault, not the fault of others. But even in those moments, God says, I will be with you and I will bless you. And so what I want to look for the next two weeks is this wonderful promise. And I want to look at three claims this promise isn't making. That's what I'll talk about today. And then next week, I'll look at three claims that this problem, uh, this uh, text is making. The first is this, if you're taking notes, there are, this promise is not saying that all things are good. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. This promise is not saying that all things are good. Notice the text in verse 28. It doesn't say that all things are good, but it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. And that's an important distinction. It's not that everything we experience in life is good. It's that everything we experience in life is working toward or for ultimately the good. As your pastor, every now and then, I'll come up to you and I'll ask you how you're doing. And like good Southern Christians, you often tell me I'm fine or I'm good. And even though you tell me that, everything on your face says otherwise. Everything on your face says it's not good. It's not fine. And every, even though we as God's people from time to time say that to one another, we know that it's not accurate. Now, we don't mean to lie, and I'm not, uh, I'm not putting that out there as if to say that we're a bunch of liars in the church, although that's what the Bible says to some degree. Um, <laughs> but that's what I'm not saying that in this instance. The point is, we don't want to just dump on each other at all times. That gets exhausting. We're not God. We can't handle all the problems in the world. But it's not the case that everything you experience is good. This text is not saying that the abuse you experience as a child was for the good, or that itself was good. It's not saying that your divorce was good. It's not saying that your debt is good or your debilitating anxiety is good or the sinful habits you wrestle with is good or your suffering is good. There are many of us inside here today that has ex have experienced things that are not fine. They're not good. They're not better than you deserve. No, they are bad. They're awful, and they grieve the heart of God. One of the things I want you to see, beloved, is that God takes your suffering seriously. He doesn't call it good because the suffering you've experienced in this world is not good. And you need to know that. But what the scriptures does tell us is that somehow God takes all of those broken pieces and awful things, and he works them for the good. Thomas Watson says the expression work together refers to medicines. Several poisonous ingredients, Thomas Watson says, 
is nor normally put together, being tempered by the skill of the apothecary, which is a pharmacist for those that don't know, makes what he calls a sovereign medicine. Man, I want you to write that phrase down and circle it, and next to it say amen. You know, we're Presbyterians, we don't say amen, but you can write it, and you can put some exclamation points behind it. Because the fact of the matter is, Thomas Watson is saying that everything that you experience in your life, good, bad, or indifferent, the holy God takes it all. And like a great physician, the chief physician, puts it all together in a sovereign medicine that works together for the good of the patient. That's something that you and I can hold on to. That everything that happens in our life, even though it's not good, it works together for the good. My second point today is this. This text isn't saying that more good things happen to us than bad things. It's not saying that. Look at the text again because this is important. All he says is, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that more good things will happen to you than bad things. That's not what the text is saying. In fact, if you flip over, notice how Paul describes the believer's life in his day. He says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists some things that Paul himself experienced, that the believers during Paul they experienced. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Those things are not good. And in Paul's day, it was the case that these believers suffered more bad than good. You know, every now and then I meet Christians who believe that if they do the right thing, believe the right thing, and live the right way, they won't experience suffering. Now, none of us in here would say that so crassly, but deep down we do feel that way. And you know how you can tell the moment you get into suffering, what do you do? You whine and complain. Or, as some people say, you vent. Now, it's the case that when you do endure suffering, how is your heart shaped by that? The fact of the matter is, deep down, we believe that if we're good enough Christians, more good things happen to us than bad things. And the fact of the matter is, that's a lie from the pits of hell. I'm reading a book by Kay Ramsey, and the book is called This Too Shall Last. It was uh, suggested to me by a young lady that goes here. And it's been one of those books that's a paradigm shift for me. Because one of the things she says is that for many believers, suffering becomes their story that can last for the rest of their life. It is the case that she said, for her, she has more bad circumstances than good circumstances. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like suffering. Uh, when I get sick, my wife puts me in a room, and if she could pass food underneath the door, she would. I'm the worst sick you could imagine. I whine and complain. I toss. I turn. It's all she could do to keep it together, but she loves me. And the fact of the matter is, I want to be put forth as gold, but I don't want to pass through fire. So what Kay Ramsey says, and what struck my heart is this. Beloved, if you want to pass through as gold, if you want to be shaped in the image of Christ, if you want to live a Christian life that's pleasing in the eyes of the Lord, then you need to suffer. And sometimes that means that more bad things happen to you than good things. And one of the things that this passage is saying, and we'll look more at it next week, is this. It's not the case at all that more good things happen than bad things, but God promises us abundant life, not abundant circumstances. And I want you to write that down, and I want you to tell yourself that over and over again. Your Lord and Savior promises you an abundant life, not an abundant set of circumstances. Jesus himself said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. What does Jesus mean? He doesn't mean abundant circumstances. He's not saying that you will have more good days than bad days. He doesn't saying that you'll get more raises than you don't or anything like that. He's saying the exact opposite. Jesus says abundant life is when you and I are filled with the radical hope and joy of the gospel that enables us to endure the circumstances of life. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. Notice with me something else. Notice with me that this passage is saying that this promise is not for everybody. This promise is not for everybody. And I want to end here because this is important. Notice, if you will, verse 28 is sandwiched between two statements. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And then Paul says, for those who are called according to his purpose. And here's the point that Paul is making, and I want you to be reminded of this. Paul is saying that this promise is not for everybody. I've been a Christian long enough to see this promise plastered everywhere. I remember one time walking into a bank and seeing it plastered on somebody's uh, table. All things work together for good to those who love God. I remember one time walking into a bar and seeing it plastered at the bottom of it in Pensacola. All things work together for good to those that love God. I've seen it in classrooms. Of course, I've seen it in churches. I've seen it on social media. Everyone claims this verse. But I want you to hear me today. This verse only belongs to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. No one else can claim this but the believer. And there's a specific reason why. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this comment. He says, I believe that Paul had a special reason for using the term love 
rather than the term believing at this point. One of the best ways we can decide immediately if we love God or not is our reaction to adversity. There are many people who, when trials and tribulations arise, they give up. They feel they have been let down. But if you love God for who he is in himself, you make a commitment to uh, and you endure difficulty. But if you are using God for what he gives you, you bail out when suffering comes. Hear me today. The believer is the one for whom this promise is given because the believer is the one who loves God and is called according to his purpose. Do you see that? what the good doctor is saying. And what he's saying is important. When Job heard that everything had been taken away from him, that he lost his family, he lost all of his goods, he lost everything he had, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now why would Job say that? Because Job understands that for the one that loves God, who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. Do you see that, beloved? Do you understand that? Do you live that way? There was a woman who was about to be killed for her faith, and she was being interrogated. And her interrogators kept asking her questions, and she wasn't able to answer them. But as they were leading her to be killed, she made the statement, I cannot dispute for Christ, but I can burn for Christ. Now hear me in that statement is something important. If you're sitting down here today and you don't know if you love God and you don't know for certain that you are called according to his purpose when those trials do come, you will buckle under the pressure. Because the fact of the matter is, only those who love God and are called according to his purpose are willing to both live for him as Job was and willing to die for him as this woman was. Now I wanna say one more thing before we wrap up today. You have to understand one of the things about the promises of God is there God extending his grace and mercy to you and asking you, are you willing to accept it? One of my favorite um, movies uh, of all time is Aladdin. Uh, how many of you have watched Aladdin? I know uh, Disney is, you know, persona non grata, but it is what it is. I love Aladdin. And one of my favorite scenes in Aladdin was when Aladdin meets the princess for the first time and then at another time. Uh, they were in a bit of trouble and Aladdin extends his hand to her and he says, do you trust me? And so she grabs his hand and jumps off a building. Uh, very romantic, ladies. I, you know, guys, that's how you win a girl right there. And then, then the other scene was when, um, you know, he was Prince Ababwa, you know, whatever. Uh, he's pretending, and, and they're about to go on a magic carpet ride, and he extends his hand to her, and he says, do you trust me? And, and she put his hand, her hand in his, and again, very sweet and romantic movie. 
Um, but but one of the things I want to tell you and the reason why I bring that up is that the promises of God are like God extending his hand to you and asking you, do you trust me? Church, I can tell you there are times when God extends his hand out to me and I slap it away. There are times when God extends his hand out to me and I don't always grab it. But one of the things I love about the Lord is that Romans 8.28 is going to be in the Bible tomorrow. And it's going to be in the Bible 10 years from now. And it's going to be in the Bible for the rest of my life. And in those times where I lack the faith to trust God, he always extends his hand out to me. And he asks me, Dennis, do you trust me? And I can tell you he does the same you know, I don't know what your malady is here today. There's some of you that don't believe in Jesus, and maybe he's extending his hand out to you, and he says, trust me with your faith and your life. Come to Christ. Do you trust me today? And there's some of you that are probably struggling in your marriage, and you're wondering if this is, and Jesus is putting out his hand and saying, do you trust me? And there's some of you that are battling with illnesses, and Again, Jesus stretches out his hand and he says, do you, do you trust me? The hand of your Savior is always extended to you in every situation, asking you over and over and over and over again, do you trust me? Do you trust him when he says all things work together for good? Father, I thank you. Thank you because your hand is always extended to us, your people. I thank you by the power of God. We can show up here today and be reminded that a promise is your hand extended to us, simply saying, do you trust me? Lord, um, as the minister of this flock, you know my heart. I don't always, but I want to. As the man who cried, I believe, but help my unbelief. I pray that for my people as well. I know we don't always trust you in every circumstance, but your hand is always open. May we be a people that learn how to do it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.